lower this down slightly. I'm not the giant that uh, Barclay is, but uh, thank you, Barclay, and thank you, Thomas, and uh, it's really good to be here with you in person this evening. I know the last few times I've spoken, it's been on the other end of a camera, so it's uh, great to be here with you this evening. Uh, I realise there are still some on the other end of a camera, and trust that the Lord will bless you too uh, this evening. We're going to uh, take a look at the uh, this man, Abraham, uh, as you probably worked out from the reading, and uh, think about him uh, tonight, the friend of God. Abraham's surely one of the uh, better known people in the Bible. We probably know quite a bit about him. He's the father of the Jewish nation. About a third of the book of Genesis is about Abraham. It starts in chapter 11, he's first mentioned, and then we follow through to chapter 25, where eventually he dies. About a third of the book. He's mentioned 74 times in the New Testament, and uh, in this chapter, which Thomas read part of for us tonight, about a third of the chapter is about him. And Abraham's life is an exciting uh, adventure with God. It began, well, what we know of it began as he left his hometown, Ur of the Chaldees, and uh, he was laughed at because he didn't know where he was going, but he knew that it was time to move on from there. Uh, but God did. God did. And uh, that should encourage us. Um, and that hymn that we just sung, a great song, a lovely song, Speaking of the faithfulness of God to each one of us. I wonder if your trust is securely in him tonight. Whatever comes your way, he will hold me fast. And tonight I've got, uh, I think you'll see it there on the sheet, five things about Abraham and seven encouragements from Abraham. You might think that looks like a 12-point sermon. Uh, well, it could be a two-point sermon with five parts and seven parts. But anyway, five things about Abraham and seven encouragements from Abraham. And the encouragements will be from Hebrews chapter 11. We'll, we'll come to that passage and just draw out some things from there to encourage us tonight. But five things about Abraham. Firstly, he came from a place called Ur about 4,000 years ago. A place called Ur about 4,000 years ago. You can go onto uh, Google Maps and you can find the city of Ur, which is located in modern-day Iraq, uh, down in the south, down near the Persian Gulf. It's there on the river uh, Euphrates. Uh, Probably in the Bible times, it's on the coast. It's not quite on the coast now. The coast seems to have moved a bit. But it was a a busy port, a trading route, uh, much of a cosmopolitan city, maybe a bit like a London or so on, with people traveling to and from and passing through. That was the place that Abraham grew up in, around 4,000 years ago, and you can work out that chronology from the Bible. Archaeological discoveries have uh, discovered all sorts of uh, uh, interesting things in the city of Ur, uh, temple complex, royal tombs, houses on streets, evidence of schools and education, uh, and all of those things. Uh, and some of those things you can see in the British Museum. Maybe some of you have been and seen some of them. So Abraham came from this place called Ur, but he didn't stay there 
all of his life. He became a a semi-nomadic, moving on from there, living in tents, tents which you pitch, rather than living in houses which have foundations. And it seems that when you look at Abraham, he was very often on the move. So firstly, he came from a city called Ur about 4,000 years ago. But then secondly, he was a citizen of heaven. He was a citizen of heaven. I suppose in the language we might use today, we'd say he was a Christian. But this uh, that's the description used of him. And actually, it's a description used of Christians as well. Are you familiar with that? Citizens of heaven. If you're trusting in Christ tonight, you are a citizen of heaven. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 3. He's uh, contrasting those who aren't uh, in Christ, so Christ's enemies, uh, with those who are in Christ, his people. And Paul says this, For as often, for I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful to know that tonight, if we are in Christ, we are citizens of heaven. Another way of putting it would be that we could say he was a, a righteous man, or a man who had been made righteous. I love that description of Uh, Abraham, what it says about him, I find it very helpful. In in Genesis chapter 15, it said, Abraham believed God, he believed the Lord, and then the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. So God credited Abraham with righteousness. He made him righteous. And that's what Christ does for us. We are made righteous by Christ. Repeated, Paul repeats it in uh, Romans 4, verse 3, uh, speaking back of the scriptures. He says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, quoting that very verse from Genesis chapter 15. He hadn't heard of Jesus, but actually it is through Jesus that he is made righteous. That's the place where the transaction takes place which makes us right with God if we're trusting in Christ, and that makes those who came before right with God in that transaction that was to come. To become a citizen of the UK, we either have to be born here or we have to meet a a list of different criteria and be here for a certain time and do certain things. But there's only one way in which we can become a citizen of heaven, and that is through Jesus, and that is through the cross. That is the place that secures our citizenship in heaven. And uh, we look back to Calvary, back to the cross, uh, and we trust in the promises which look back to the cross. For Abraham, he looked forward to the cross. He trusted in the revelation that God gave him, and he believed God and trusted in him, He didn't know it as we do, but it's there at the cross that the transaction took place that made Abraham right with God or a citizen of heaven. It says in Hebrews 
at this chapter, verse 13, that he, that he saw it from a distance. Didn't fully understand it, didn't have the revelation that we have tonight, but he saw it from a distance. So secondly, he was a, a, a citizen of heaven. And then we come to this uh, description of Abraham. Uh, he was described, he's described in the Bible as God's friend. God's friend. Isn't that a, a wonderful description to be called God's friend? I wonder if you know where that, you find that in the Bible. It actually comes three times. And, uh, when I was preparing, I was looking them up, uh, and it's, it's there in Isaiah. And, uh, uh, listen to what it says in Isaiah 41. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners. I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So speaking there in that prophecy about uh, Israel, God's servant, and yes, looking forward to Christ as well, but described them, uh, uh, Israel, as the descendants of Abraham, my friend. That's the language that God uses. And then the next place you see it in the Old Testament, I say the next place, you might think it's before, but it's in time, it's actually after, is in 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 7. And Jehoshaphat is praying, he's in the temple, and uh, it's just probably worth saying that the book of Chronicles, or the two books of Chronicles, um, uh, were actually the last of the Old Testament to be written. If you had a Jewish Bible, I think you would find it at the end of the Old Testament. Uh, it's almost a spiritual commentary on the rest of the Bible. Um, and uh, Jehoshaphat says this, uh, O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? There we have it in 2 Chronicles again. And then we see it in the book of James as well. James uh, refers to it. Uh, James, as he writes about faith and works, he says, Was not our father considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God And it was credited to him as righteousness. There's that again. And he was called God's friend. That's a wonderful description. It doesn't say Abraham was God's friend, but that God was Abraham's friend. It's a subtle difference in those things. Can you see that difference? I might have lots of friends, but would they call me their friend? I might say, well, Adam Peaty, I love to follow the swimming, he's a Loughborough swimmer. I could say Adam Peaty is my friend. I've never actually met him, so I can't. Uh, but if he said David Donigani is my friend, that's something different. Do you see what God is saying of Abraham? Abraham is my friend. Lovely to have God giving that description of him. And wouldn't it be lovely to have God having that description of us too. But why does he say that? Why does he call him his friend? Well, from when we read in the scriptures and the, some of the things that we've looked at, it seems to be because of what he did and how he did it. Now, what he did didn't make him right with God. 
Because we've seen that God credited it to him for righteousness if he believed. But actually, as he responded to God, it seems that those things that he did caused him to be called the friends, uh, caused him to be called God's friend. That passage in James that we read, it says that, speaking of Abraham, his faith was made complete by what he did. It seems that God is calling Abraham his friend because of Abraham's response to God. There seems to be a condition attached. Now, we're not that keen, are we, on conditional Christianity? But actually, there are conditions there in the Bible. It actually says if we repent and trust in Christ, then we will be saved. So in salvation, there are conditions, repentance. And it's there in sanctification too. I've been studying in 2 Peter as well this week, 2 Peter chapter 1. And it's interesting, you read that chapter and three times we're told to do something. So writing to Christians, three times we are told to do something. Firstly, it says, make every effort to add to your faith. You see, Christian requires effort. Verse 5. Secondly, it says, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. That's verse 10. We've got to be eager to do it. And thirdly, it says, pay careful attention to the prophetic word. Verse 19. There chapter, three things, three responses we must make to grow in faith. Abraham uh, the Bible is described, uh, Abraham is described in the Bible as God's friend. And then fourthly, and I think it is worth just saying this, Abraham wasn't perfect. It is very easy, isn't it, to look at some of these Old Testament characters or the New Testament ones and, and put them on this pedestal, as it were, and uh, just think, well, I could never Never be like that, and you don't know me, and you don't know the mistakes I've made. But Abraham wasn't perfect. And that's one of the amazing things about the Bible, that it doesn't hide their failings, uh, uh, their failings and the sin of his people. Abraham had his victories, but he had his defeats. He had his hopes, but at times he had his fears. He had his strengths, and then there were weaknesses as well. At one time, he went down to Egypt. But there's no record in the Bible that God told him to go there. And another time there in Egypt, while there, he persuaded his wife to call herself his sister. It was a lie or half-truth. or But it wasn't. He shouldn't have done that. It was wrong. There was duplicity and deceit and failings in Abraham's life. The Bible doesn't pretend that the great uh, men and women of God were perfect. And uh, as we read through this chapter of Hebrews, we think about some of those names who are being commended for their faith, but yet we can be aware of their failings too. Abraham lied. Noah got drunk. David fell into acts of immorality. Yeah, uh, they failed. They weren't perfect. And that actually should encourage us that, because we're aware of the fact that we're not perfect, but yet we can still be described as God's 
friend. There's always a way back through repentance and coming back to God. I love that little chorus that says, there's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is open where all may go in. At Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. But even when we've trusted in Christ, we can still fail, we can still stumble, and we still get things wrong, but there's still a way back to God. Let's be encouraged by that. So fourthly, he wasn't perfect. And then fifthly, Abraham is here to encourage us. He's here in this book of Hebrews to be an encouragement to us. I, uh, I like this book of Hebrews. Uh, we studied it in home groups a while ago and I really enjoyed that and I think we're going to be looking at some of the uh, encouragements in there in our home groups just over the next few home groups. And uh, I've just ordered myself a new commentary on Hebrews which I'm hoping will arrive uh, this week. But it's a book to encourage us. Uh, I remember, I don't know if Sam's here. Oh yes, I can see him there at the back. Uh, Sam, he knows what I'm going to say in a minute. I remember listening to Sam's dad speak uh, at Melbourne Hall in Leicester where we used to be many years ago on a Wednesday night and he spoke on the book of Hebrews and I can picture him this day and he stood up and said Hebrews is like a green grocer's shop. A green grocer's shop for you younger ones is a modern day equivalent, an old fashioned supermarket but they just had the veg there in the shop. It's like a green grocer's shop. It's full of lettuces. And uh, he went on. All these number of times the word lettuce, these lettuces, letters. And 14 times in the book uh, of Hebrews, you find this phrase, let us. It's an encouragement to stir us up. Oh, yes, there's warnings, but it's a book to encourage us. Let us come boldly. Let us draw near. Let us encourage one another. That's a great book of encouragement. And each of those is, as it were, is, is like a, a divine call into a deeper Christian life to go on with God, to know more of him, to grow in faith, to become more like Jesus. It's, if you like, uh, the whole book is an invitation, encouragement to become, or yes, to become God's friend and to go on. And this Hebrews chapter 11 is, uh, it's like a gallery, a picture gallery with all the pictures uh, around. Those who are held up as an example of faith. And they're there to encourage us to do the same. And there's nothing like seeing the gallery of faith, as it were, to encourage us. I've enjoyed watching, no, I haven't enjoyed watching, because I haven't seen much of them, but following the Olympics and particularly the swimming and, uh, uh, I watched a clip of the, uh, of the interview with um, Luke Greenbank, who again is a Loughborough swimmer, got a bronze medal, 200 metres backstroke. But when he was being interviewed by Sharon Davis, he said, you know, where did, where did you get that? You know, where did you want to, you know, go on and do something? He said it was watching the uh, Beijing Olympic Games in 2008, was it? As a, a 10-year-old, watching the Games, he thought, that's what I want to do. Now, we can't all watch it and think that's what I want to do and achieve it. We don't all achieve that. But we can all look at this chapter of men and women of faith and say, by God's grace and with God's help, that's what I want to be. And that's what I want to do. A man, to be a man or a woman 
of faith. And did you notice in the reading, it actually says, without faith, we cannot please God. And I don't think that's just talking about salvation, but without trusting God and exercising faith and making every effort, it seems that we cannot please God. Response is required. So there's five things about Abraham. And now here are seven things to encourage us from Abraham. And I use the word encourage. And I think they are encouragements or exhortations, but they are challenges as well. And uh, as we go through them very quickly, really, and uh, I think it's very straightforward taking what it says and just asking ourselves the question, am I like that? Do I do that? And, and as I've prepared this week and gone through it, I've asked myself these questions and uh, I want to ask you the questions again tonight. And as we go through them, you'll see how they all, uh, they're all a similar phrase, but just to help us to understand it. So firstly, there in verse eight, firstly, Abraham, his ears were open to the voice of God. His ears were open to the voice of God. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. He obeyed when he heard, so he must have heard clearly. Now, you might say that's obvious, but it's significant that he heard the voice of God. I think we live in days of spiritual deafness where we, as it were, don't hear the voice of God. There's so much noise around us in this world that it can drown out that voice of God. Abraham learnt to tune in to what God was saying. He must have done Because he heard clearly and he went out not knowing where he went. I know I've used this illustration before, but I think it's a a good one. Uh, Just as Abraham's ears were were tuned into that voice of God, I think in the same way that, I can say a parent's, but actually I should say a mother's voice is tuned in to that young baby. Tuned in, the slightest, just awake, there's a noise, go and see if the baby's all right tuned in to it. I know that, I think of those years ago, my ears weren't tuned in in the same way. I would sleep through it. But Jan's ears tuned in to whatever the need to go and meet that need. And that's what we need with God, to be tuned in to him. Are you listening to God? I'm not just saying are you here on a Sunday, you're here on a Thursday, but are you listening to what God is saying? And are you listening to what God is saying, not just here on a Sunday or a Thursday, but day by day in your own home, as you read God's word, as you try and tune in to what God was saying? So firstly, Abraham's ears were open to the voice of God. And my simple question is this, are yours? Are yours? Secondly, again from verse 8, His feet responded to the call of God. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went 
even though he did not know where he was going. He obeyed and he went. God had spoken. He clearly heard. But when God spoke, he obeyed. Now that would lead to uncertainty because he didn't know where he was going. It would lead to hardships, loneliness, separation, uncertainty. But that was the path of blessing too. Because Abraham had to obey what God was saying and go out believing God and his promises. In any situation we find ourselves in, I think there's three options that we have. First of all, we can do what we want. Secondly, we can do what others want to please them. And thirdly, we can do what God wants. Now, sometimes all those things line up, but sometimes they don't. And the uh, challenge for us is, do we want to do what God wants? Are we seeking to listen to him carefully and obey him? Maybe the reasons we don't respond, either we're not listening carefully or we're not listening with an intention of uh, responding and obeying. I think it's very easy for us to treat uh, the Bible and to listen to preaching as as if it's information to affirm. Oh yes, I affirm that, that's good, that's right. Rather than listening to it as instruction to obey. Abraham's feet were those which responded to the call of God. I don't just mean to to go out, as it were, just at the beginning, but just day by day, being obedient to God and responding to him. His feet responded to that call of God. And my question is, do yours. And then thirdly, let let me put it like this. His patience was centred on the promises of God. His patience was centred on the promises of God. Verse 11, by faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was unable to become a father because he considered himself faithful who had made the promise. He considered God faithful and he trusted God's promise. There's mention of those promises and promises again in verses 9 and 13. But it seems to me that this was the driving force of Abraham's life. The promise of God. Listening to God, obeying to God, but driven by the promises of God. You go back to Genesis 12 and just when Abraham first comes on the scene in the Old Testament, you read of that promise to Abraham, a promise to bless, a promise to make his name great, a promise to make him a great nation, and a promise to bless all the nations through him. He was 75 years old when he responded to that promise, but it kept him going for a 100 years, driven, as it were, by the promises of God. And the only reason we can be here tonight is because of the the promises of God or because of that promise. God's faithfulness and Abraham's trust in it, which eventually 
brought about that great nation, which eventually Jesus came through. So, in some senses, we're a fulfillment of that promise, as it were. And because Abraham trusted in the promises of God, we can be here and in Christ tonight. And we have promises. We have the promises of God's word. Uh, Again, in 2 Peter, let me just read to you this verse. I know I've spoken on this a little while ago. 2 Peter chapter 1, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life to our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you might participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Is it wonderful tonight that Here we are, all very different needs, all very different circumstances, but in Christ we have everything we need for a godly life. We have, uh, he's given us great and precious promises so that through them we can participate in the divine nature. Maybe that's another way of saying we can be the, the, uh, be God's friends, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desire. Abraham's patience was centred on the promises of God and our lives should be centred on the promises of God. Let me just read to you a few promises. He promises to give grace for every need, wisdom when we ask, that Satan will flee when we resist him, that he will forgive us when we confess our sin, that he forgives us when we forgive others, that he exalts the humble, that he will never forsake you, that he gives everlasting life, that he will meet all your needs, that he will answer when you call, that he will always work for your good, that he will direct your paths. And we could go on. God's word full of wonderful and great and precious promises. Abraham's patience was centred on the promises of God is yours. You trusting in those wonderful promises. And then number four, his eyes were fixed on the home of God. His eyes were fixed on the home of God. He forsook an earthly city, the city of Ur, and he was looking for a heavenly one. He was commended for looking forward to a city. That's what it says. In verse 10, um, he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is, uh, is God. Commended for looking forward to a city. He was commended, in verse 14, it's similar, for, for looking forward to a country. Um, and then again in verse 16, speaking of these people, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Longing for these things, looking for these. When you get to the next chapter in Hebrews, uh, chapter 12, in the second verse, it says this. It says, let us fix our eyes upon Jesus. I think there's the same idea in, uh, in there, as it were. You see, Abraham took his eyes off this world and was looking for that which was to come. And we need to do the same. To take our eyes off what's around us 
and be looking and fixing our eyes upon Jesus. Looking forward. I think our eyes are often fixed on other things. It can be fixed on screens, whether it be the big screen at home or the little screen in our hand, which is our our portal, our window into the world. But it's only a window into a temporary world, a world which is fading and passing away. When we look in the Bible, into God's word, we look into the window that, that sees into the eternal world. We need to take our eyes off what is temporary and fix our gaze upon what is eternal. Abraham's eyes were fixed on the home of God. They were fixed on Jesus. They were fixed on the future. They were fixed on a great hope. Let me ask you tonight, are yours? Are yours? And then number five, Abraham, his words declared the things of God. Listen to what it says in verse 13, speaking not just of Abraham, but speaking of all of them. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. They admitted it and said it. They were all commended for speaking up and for speaking out. They weren't just commended for what they did, but it seems that they were commended for what they said as well. And the gospel isn't just a a, a, a written message to be read. It's a, a it's a, it should be a proclaimed message to be heard. It's to be both lived. We should live out the gospel, but it's to be told as well, as we have opportunity to speak up. And again, coming back to Peter, the first book of Peter, he tells us to live such good lives amongst the pagans that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So, yes, live it out. But we're told as well to be ready to give a reason to speak out. And Abraham, his words, declared the things of God. There's so much pressure on us to keep quiet. I feel it, and I'm sure you do too. We hear of people losing their jobs for speaking up and speaking out, or being ostracized, or being deplatformed, or whatever. But we must speak up. It's not easy. We need to be wise. But let's be those who, with God's help, just speak up when we can for God and for Jesus. Abraham's word declared, uh, words declared the things of God. And the question is, do yours. And then number six, his heart was full of desire for God. So verse 15. Um, uh, in, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Verse 16, instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. There was a longing for something better. A heart's desire for more. It's interesting that it says they could have gone back, but they didn't because they were longing 
for something better. Not just looking, but longing, stretching out for, yearning after, desiring after. We all have desires. Some are good, some are bad, others are indifferent. But the best desire that we can have is a desire for God himself. And as we pray to God, as we read his word, as we meditate on his word, as we we talk to others about his word, as we encourage one another, that desire will grow. Make sure that we're doing the things which will feed that desire for God. Abraham's heart was full of desire for God. He's yours. And then finally, he was prepared to offer all that he had for God. And this is where it gets uncomfortable, because look at what it says. By faith, verse 17, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. And I sometimes think about Abraham and what he must have felt like and I I really can't imagine it. Um, And would we dare pray, make me willing to be like that? Abraham was prepared to offer everything he had. And I'm not going to ask the question. We can go away and ask that of ourselves. But this is what marked Abraham out. This is what he commended for. And it's all these things that means that he is the described as God's friend. And then just as we draw to a close, it's worth saying what's true of Abraham was true of Jesus. He listened to God. He was obedient to him. He was trusting the promises of his father. He was looking to heaven, looking uh, to that. He was declaring the things of God. His heart was full of desire for God. And he was willing to give all. In the end, Abraham didn't have to give his son. But God did. And Jesus went to that cross. What's true of Abraham is true of Jesus. And it's because of him, it can be true of us too. And what's true for Abraham can be true for us. Do you believe that? Is it possible? God's word said it is. We have a new life. We have a loving heavenly father. And let me just come back to that verse in 2 Peter 1 again. His his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Well, may God help us to enjoy what he's given us, to grow uh, and to pursue that life and godliness that we might be called the friend of God. We're going to be God's friend. We need to take these things seriously and I pray that with God's help we will do that.